Welcome to Marafaya, the show that dives into the climate crisis in Belize. I'm Andra Habet. And I'm Digna Ramirez. For today's episode, we will tell you about the show and a bit about us. And why we're invested in the fight to mitigate and adapt to the climate crisis here and everywhere. So first of all, what is climate crisis? What is climate change? So I remember I had this conversation with a guy before and he was like, what's the importance of climate change? Like it literally has been happening since the start of the earth. We had the period where there was fire and then the ice age. So it's nothing new. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, like you're correct. Like that's right. It's, it's a natural process. However, what's concerning is the rate that it's happening. And since the 19th century, when the industrial revolution happened, humans have been responsible for a one degree Celsius rise in temperature since during this time, um, the industries that were started to be introduced were mechanicals and a lot of fossil fuel emissions. So since then, uh, the earth has seen, seen a rise in these temperatures. And the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change the 2018 report that they said that if we do not reduce this by 50% by 2030 and 100% by 2050, then we will likely surpass a 1.5 degrees in temperature rise. And I don't know about you, Andrew, but honestly, I, I don't think I will be able to take that and I'll be alive by 2050. I've been thinking about that a lot recently too, with uh, right now we are in the midst of a uh... Of a, of a minor minor heat wave in Belize like this is not as bad as it can get I mean over the weekend before we recorded this it was really bad up to 100 and past 100 in certain places we had a bunch of chickens die off in Spanish yes. lookout um, and that is uh, we're right now at just one degree Celsius warming so the likelihood of us getting to 1.5 and even surpassing that I, I really just cannot imagine it um, sometimes I do just sit in my room and wonder like damn like how are we gonna cope with that and uh and the sad answer is like we will figure out a way but uh, a lot of people will suffer in the midst of that yeah i was in Cayo the past weekend and there it just gets unbearably hot dry air especially during the midday i was like oh my god if this is a free trial of hell like i better get my shit together like i won't make it there <laughs> <laughs> seriously <laughs> yeah seriously but that, that is what it feels like yeah and it's not only that it's not just the heat waves that are concerning if the temperatures rise the ice caps will melt and then a drastic rise in sea level will happen and this should be concerning for Belize because Belize city alone it's under sea level and there I mean and we have a lot of islands as well. So, you know, it's that the city, the, the population of Belize will feel it a lot. And even though as a third world country, we don't contribute mo much or anything to this issue. But because of these countries, like the big ones in charge, United States, China, the these drivers, they, because of them, if they don't do anything about what about their um, industries and how much they're contributing to climate change, it's us that we will be able to feel it first. And, and yeah. that's the worst part. That's literally the worst part. Like we're, we're not doing anything. We're just here chilling, like taking our time. Yeah. And I mean, we, we are contributing emissions, but mm -hmm. definitely not significant to the degree that mm -hmm. those other countries are. And what's also, what's also necessary to keep in mind is that while you know islands being underwater and uh is a possibility that's already something that's happening 
in the Pacific Ocean, there's particular islands that have already disappeared off the map as a result of rising sea, sea levels. So um, while we are still looking for that to happen in the near future, um, it's already happened to some people. And, uh, and so we have to be mindful of that, right? That, that what's awaiting us may, also, may, may already be hitting people in different ways. For another way in which that's happening is our wildfires, which, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember that early in 2020, there was uh, a huge wildfire in Australia that destroyed yes. um, tons of tons of land and, uh, and killed a lot of animals. It was really horrific. And um, that's something that has the potential to happen in Belize. I actually used to not think that might be possible given how humid it is. But um, I've been doing some reading that's looking at the fact that actually because of changes in climate, um, humidity would not be enough of a measure to prevent these forest fires from escalating during the dry season. And uh, especially right now where there's not much rain, um, we really got to be mindful of this and, and how it's potentially going to occur. And uh, there's a lot of movers for this, but uh, yeah, you were saying? No, yeah. And I, like you were mentioning with this whole wildfires, uh, the mountain Pine Ridge area, that's a very vulnerable area and we still have farmers that practice slash and burn and if that's not controlled these fires can also get out of um control i think it was was it last year when this happened that apparently i wasn't in Cayo during that time but my friends were just telling me that all you could see was just thick smoke like it, you couldn't see clear skies it was really bad people who um had breathing problems so you know like we're literally close to the effects closer to the effects than what we think of like yes exactly we like uh, some people still think it's a way off but we are already seeing signs of it in belize beyond just the rising temperatures and the more severe um, hurricanes we've been experiencing over the past couple of years luckily we haven't been hit by any major ones recently but that is uh, always a year by year thing. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wild what people have been able to normalize and, and not interpret as uh, a sign of things to come. Um, and, you know, while you said that we cannot do anything to control the emissions of other countries, there's definitely a lot we can be doing to lower our own carbon emissions. I mean, but we have also, not only out of the goodness of our will, but because uh, we need to be doing our part as well in lowering carbon emissions and and transitioning to a more uh, to a fossil fuel fossil free fuel society. Damn, I said that wrong four times. A fossil fuel free society uh, in which um, in which we can potentially prepare for a lot of the changes that are about to happen, um, including the migration of those coastal communities you mentioned earlier. Well, we're talking about these rises. Uh... There's documents that were created to um, keep track of the emissions of countries and Belize in particular, the baseline year where it started was 1994. And from that, we only have records up till 2016 and it has not yet been updated. So that's, for to me, it's a bit of a concern because 2016 to now, it's a good four or five years and what's happening during that time? What, what has been happening? Are we doing anything? I mean, we're still waiting on the fourth national communication to come out, which, would, uh, which covers the greenhouse gas emissions that Belize emits. Um, and so we have to wait for that to get an official word. But 
just based on observations of practices that have been occurring, it's only likely to to have become higher our greenhouse gas emissions due to uh, greater deforestation that's still happening. Um, a lot more mangrove continues to be cleared in spite of the fact that there's no um, laws that limit, uh, that prohibit uh, people's ability to cut mangrove at their own will. Um, and then on top of that, you have the increase of cars in Belize. Uh, I remember last year seeing an article saying that uh, the number of cars in Belize would only increase is predict, projected to only increase between now and 2025, which to me is, uh, is a huge sign of, of problems to come, not only in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, but um, in terms of traffic congestion, in terms of localized air pollution. Uh, and, you know, gas is really high. I, I really don't know how people are affording it. I have a car. I just got a car uh, like a month ago, and damn, it really hurts putting that $50 every week just to, you know, do my one or two errands a day. Um, <laughs> definitely. So um, now I'm just going to get into a little bit of uh, the history of global warming and the public understanding of it. So global warming as a phenomenon uh, has been affecting the world, as Digna has said, um, since uh, since the industrial beginning of the industrial age, uh, that's at the late nineteenth century with the creation with with the with the expansion and use of fossil fuels, um, the first person to have made a theoretical understanding of uh, carbon's effect on temperature was an American scientist, a woman named Eunice Newton Foote, uh, and she discovered this in eighteen fifty six. Uh, this is to me like amazing uh, that that she did this experiment, and I, I love the curiosity on display here. So what she did was that she had um, two jars uh, with two different types of air. One of them is you know just the regular air from the atmosphere, um, and then the second one was uh, air that was a bit more carbonic, meaning simply that it had more carbon than other elements in it. And what she found when she left both of these jars in the sun is mm -hmm. that the carbonic air warmed faster and retained more heat uh, than the other one. Um, she presented this paper in, in August 1856. Uh, it was titled Circumstances Affecting the Heat of Sun's Rays um, at the meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Uh, what ended up happening is that she didn't get credit in her lifetime really. Uh, instead, a, another scientist, John Tyndall, uh, Tyndall, sorry, uh, made similar observations shortly thereafter, and he was he ended up being credited as the as the father of uh, of climate science in a complete sexist erasure of uh, of Foote's contributions to this work. Um, and Foote's work, by the way, came came f three years earlier. So there, you know, there was a clear discrepancy there and we'll never know whether Tyndall was aware of her, her paper. Although the fact is that Foote's paper was published in the same journal in which Tyndall had another unrelated article published. So make that what you will. Um, then let's skip forward a bit, uh, about a hundred years. Now we're in the 1980s. Um, and now there's starting to be a lot more conversation globally on the impact that emissions ha are having on the um, on global warming. Um, so this, these conversations start happening more often. 
and it culminates in the World Conference on the Changing Atmosphere, Implications for Global Security. This was a uh, conference that happened in uh, 1988 in Toronto, Canada, um, where it was concluded that humans needed to reduce emissions by 20% below 1988 levels. Since then, emissions have only increased. Um, so we're so far off from that. And there's tons of reasons why we have failed to meet those goals globally. Um, a lot of it has been suppression of information, um, a lot of climate denialism fueled by the fossil fuel industry uh, that has been uh, recorded repeatedly in different ways. And a lot of uh, governments inability, inability to decouple themselves from uh, reliance on fossil fuels and, and uh, I guess on top of that, it's just a, it's a very profitable industry that people don't want to say goodbye to. And they will sort of, they, they refuse to let go of it. And, you know, I think people are playing nice with the fossil fuel industry still when really, as a lot of my favorite climate journalists say, um, you, can't, you can't try to make friends with your enemy who is hoping, who not hoping, but is okay with you potentially dying as a result of their enrichment. So since, uh, since 1988, there's been several um, meetings and documents that have come out with the intention of finding a way to coordinate a response to lower these emissions. We've had uh, the Kyoto Protocol, the Copenhagen Accords, and more recently, the Paris Agreement. Um, uh, so far, though, these have failed to generate any substantive changes in emissions reductions. and uh, as you mentioned earlier, Dignat, we are at a point in time where uh, we have to be drastically reducing emissions by 50% in the next, at this point, nine years. And the truth of it is that we're so far off from the mark. Um, and this is not to say that all hope is lost, but it is to say that there is a lot of work to be done. And uh, part of why we're doing this show is because um, we feel that this work can be done um, and it can be done if we provide information to people and sort of um, indicate a potential way to respond. Um, another reason why it's very important for us to be thinking about it is because climate change takes already existent problems and functions as a threat mm -hmm. multiplier. It makes it that much harder to secure food. It makes it that much harder for people to think um, also, you know, you think about things like the fact that Belize has seen a huge rise in violent crime over the past decades and studies that have shown that there is a link between increased temperatures and increased rates of violent, uh, violent attacks. So we have to be thinking sort of holistically as to how changes in the climate will affect society. Um, and that's why we're yeah, here. And people don't realize that, you know, fossil fuels, that's uh, non-renewable resource so if they continue at this rate they it will be finished and even though it's profitable like there will be the money by then but at that time we won't be able to eat money like what will we be eating yeah you know uh i uh, i guess i guess we'll be eating some form of a rock <laughs> or something um I, I i really don't know what what the intention is there uh so we just want to go in now into a bit of uh, background behind um, why we made this show and who we are and why we're invested in this whole problem. Um, so 
as I said before, my name's Andre, and uh, I have been, I guess, invested in the fight for mitigating and updating, uh, adapting to the worst of the climate crisis uh, for a few years now. Um, and it's been something that's been deeply concerning to me. Um, and I wanted to create this show with another person in order to start to have these discussions in a public space and share this information with people. Um, what really inspired me though has been the work of other climate journalists. Uh, one who has, one, one I'll mention right now is Emily Atkin, um, an American climate journalist uh, who wrote this really amazing essay called Good Grief. And um, in that she points to how to assume stoicism of journalism as limited type of coverage global warming has had, and therefore people commonly underestimate the urgency of the situation and the many ways in which the climate crisis touches on all aspects of our lives, from our ability to make food, to massive extinction, to fertility rates, to our ability to sustain the capitalist structures that, we're that we were told would make our lives better, and have failed to do so due to massive global inequality and profiteering from environmental destruction. Um, so having learned that I really had wanted to get other people to do the show, I really wanted to function in the role as a producer. Um, but I, I, didn't, I think no one was really taking me up on that offer. I don't know if they didn't think I was serious, but in any case, that's how I ended up getting to the point where I was like, I need to make this happen now because, you know, I want there to be a Belize in the future. And I think the way to do that is to get people, um, enlist people into this, into this larger fight. Um, so that I can have um, a way to continue being here for my lifetime. And hopefully whoever follows us, uh, they can do that too, you know. So Digna, uh, I, I, I got in touch with you about this. And can you talk a little bit about uh, what was your impression of this? I, I, I feel like uh, now that we know each other uh, for, for a few months now, it feels it, I, it's, it's always hard to remember like when you met someone, oh. you know. <laughs> Well, I was, I have a mutual friend in common with you and she was the one who got in contact with me because she knew that um, I majored in environmental science and that I've been unemployed and I've just been uh, wondering what the heck I'm going to do with my time since, you know, COVID and everything that's going on, people are losing jobs. So it's really difficult to uh, find a job specifically. So she messaged me and she was like, hey, you know, uh, would you be interested in this? Just get into contact with him. So I was like, okay, like I'll give it a try. So then I went to your page and then I just went to like stalk a little and, <laughs> and see what you're all about <laughs> before I message you. And, uh, and then yeah. I saw that you had previously tried to um, do the same thing like months before, like you had post dating back months ago. Um, talking that you wanted to do something like this and that you were interested and no reply so I was like okay let me give this a try so I then messaged you and then that's how we got into conversation and then you told me what it's all about and I was like that's a really um, great initiative mostly because as a young uh, person in her early 20s honestly when I went into environmental science I was sort of naive to a point, you know, thinking about rom it, climate change was like a romanticized idea. Like it's yeah. easy, we can do this, it's easy. Like why the hell are we not doing this, you know? 
Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, I started learning from my courses and then from news and then uh, just seeing how the system is. And I realized that if I if I were to work in the system that Belize has now, I wouldn't be doing anything of what I am actually interested. Like I would have to stay quiet or if I want to keep certain that certain job, you know, yeah. and I don't want that. I don't want for my voice to be bought or kept quiet. So I thought this would be a great medium to spread awareness and get in contact with other people and to let them know that they're not alone, that they that we need to speak up and we need to come together to be able to do this as one and to start seeing results. Yeah, and I'm really glad to have you join me on this journey. Uh, I think we're going to learn a lot and we're going to talk to a lot of people while we do this over the next couple of weeks. Um, we're hoping to do this in a, se in a seasonal format where we can you know, do a lot of uh, really good episodes and then take a break to recharge and do some research and then come back to you all. So, uh, Digna, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that you and I have actually not yet met in, met in person as yet, which is, uh, which is sort of hilarious to me. Just Well, I guess people always say Belize is so small, but like the only way we could get further from each other is if I moved to Toledo because you're up in Corozal. I live in Belize City. I've only ever lived in Belize City whenever I've lived in Belize. So um, that's, that's, that's to me very, some, somewhat humorous. But I, I've lived away in the United States for in the United States for about 10 years. And then I moved back in 2019. Um, most of my, you know, my work has been in the realm of writing. I did a creative writing degree. And then I did a degree in rhetoric and composition and now I'm completing a PhD in composition and cultural rhetorics from Syracuse University and uh, you know I have learned a lot through my time in school but I've learned a lot as well from informal spaces from a lot from friends from books that weren't assigned to me and from conversations with people and for me this is an extension of that this is a continued learning space for myself uh, maybe for you, I don't know, maybe you know a lot more than me. I've never taken an environmental science class. I don't know if you know that. I took one class on like the Caribbean sex trade and tourism, which was huge for me. But beyond that, um, yeah, my scientific background is very paltry. The last science class I took, I remember, was a chemistry class. I got a, I got a C plus and I was very proud of myself. Interesting. I actually failed chemistry the first time I took it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so tell, 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 tell us a little bit about yourself too. Well, like you said, I'm from Corozal. Um, I've also lived most of my life here. I briefly lived in Bladeville for like a year, but that was because my mom moved there for work. But yeah, most of my time I've just been here. And I, for as long as I can remember, maybe in high school, I was actually forced to start, um, getting involved in youth organizations and volunteering forced. I, what? Forced my mom, because she's a chairperson of the village. <laughs> so whenever they needed people, um, they would contact her and like, hey, we need uh, youths and blah, blah, blah. So I would be the first person my mom would go to. And I was like, wow. you have to do this. Like, but I don't want to. No, I don't care. Like, you have to do this. So and I'm actually grateful for that. Even though I hated it at first, I actually grew to love it. And it's opened many doors for me. 
And from that is when I started uh, volunteering with uh, NGOs like Oceana. I uh, was very fond of participating in community cleanups. Fond of it, but disappointed at the same time to see how disgusting a lot of us are. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and that is where my interest for um, so to study environmental science came. And at the time, my knowledge and my everything was so limited like I said like I was very naive to think about it like I just knew like the basics of climate change uh land pollution water pollution so and then when I entered into uh, Galen that's where I got my bachelor's degree um I took sustainable development courses and I started to learn you know how the system is involved how there's different pillars that goes into this and it's not just land pollution it's not just saving the sea and saving the turtles but it's a lot a bigger problem and i even did a um, exchange in canada so then i got the context of the of the canadians with environmental and it was funny because to us they're doing a bit more when it comes to climate change however for them, mm -hmm. they're like, no, this is not enough. Like you're literally not doing anything to their government. So it was like funny to see how yeah. how those are. And I and I learned a lot from Canada and, and it's some stuff that I think that we could also implement here in Belize. Uh, it's just like- Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. especially with electric cars, like why have we not yet introduced that here? I mean, supposedly that's been that's on the horizon for us, but uh, I think it will take a lot more pressure for that to become a priority. Um, Canada is an interesting place to talk about when it comes to climate change, because they relative to like the United States, they have done a much better job. But at the same time, they're another rich country that has continued to invest in fossil fuel extraction, particularly through the tar sands located in Alberta, Canada which have been really disastrous for yeah, that the, territory. Their pipelines, the yeah, that's when I was introduced to pipelines and yeah. I was shook. I was like, this is the first time I'm hearing about pipelines. I'm like, why, why are they still doing that? Like that's the equivalent to the ports that we have three ports he approved here and they have so many pipelines yeah. approved there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's this continued investment in things that they say like, we know this is bad, but we need money. And it's just very confusing. It's like, it's uh, okay, yeah, we all need money, but like just how much and by what means, you know? Um, I think, I think uh, it's very interesting that when poor people, you know, do some messed up stuff um, and then they say, you know, I did this because I needed to survive. We're like, well, you have to figure out another way. But when powerful people and entities do it, we're like, well, you know, what are you going to do? You need to, you need it's to. It's not even house. that, right? Because like, uh, how I've mentioned before, um, what we contribute to this problem is not much or anything. Like, for example, mm -hmm. carpooling has been a thing for us from the way back because, you know, saving money, it's not much about like saving the environment, but we see like uh, saving the yeah. economy. We go to the uh, shop, we care only morale and like we care our own bags, you know, and that's just like, mm, you're poor. But if someone from a high position does, it's like, I'm saving the environment. Like they look upon and, and they are credited for it when it's like, we've been doing this for a long time, but we've, we've been criti like criticized for it with all these people. And it's like a huge deal and like, wow. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in, in many ways, we, we've been ahead of the game in certain practices. Uh, I think as individuals, yes, but systematically, I think we've, uh, systemically, mm-hmm. I think we've been ignoring a lot of rising problems. Um, and, and that's part of like why I became so invested in this um, discussion is because I, I really had a breakthrough moment, a true, you know, a, you know, maybe 10 times in a lifetime situation where my whole worldview shifted and I can point it, point back to like a particular time and place when that happened. And that was when I read Rosaline Duffy's A Trip Too Far when I was in the class I mentioned earlier in my PhD program. So I've been to school for so damn long and it took me till I was like in my late 20s at in Syracuse, New York, far from home. And I read this book about Belize, A Trip Too Far, that is about ecotourism and is largely an anthropo- a social science text um, looking at the ways in which the ecotourism trade has functioned largely as a marketing tool um, that actually rarely works towards the protection of the environment. Um, and that was really earth shattering to me because, you know, one of the things we often call Belize uh, uh, is the jewel. And this had totally thrown off my understanding of Belize as the jewel um, because I went from seeing Belize as a paradise to recognizing that that idea of a paradise was something that Belize feeds the tourists. And because it feeds it to tourists, we are also eating that same image, despite the fact that we know that things are really messed up, that there is extreme amount of uh, poor waste management, um, poor water quality. Um, we've seen recently in the case of the New River, which last year got a ton of attention for the fact that it was seeing massive fish kills and uh, people getting sick living along the New River. And uh, there are you know, companies that benefit, that profit along the New River, and I won't name names here because, well, I don't know how lawsuits work in Belize, but hopefully someday those people are held accountable for what they've been doing. And so there's all these examples we can look at um, that show us that Belize isn't a jewel, and that's okay. But the thing is, once we recognize that we have to start working towards changing it. And for me as well, it's also, I guess it was my shift away from uh, valuing capitalism as the best uh, economic model for ourselves and recognizing that capitalism is built on inequality and it's also built on the destruction of the environment because it treats the environment as an infinite resource when anybody who can look at a tree or look at anything or be in the presence of like, the natural world will tell you that it, it, it's all finite. It, it all has the potential to go away if we mismanage it, if we're not stewards for it. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is that um, I, you know, I, I think one thing that people underestimate when you get into the fight for climate change is, although it can be really stressful to be able to recognize um, all of the destructive things humans are doing and maybe the deadlines on our ability to sustain the current quality of life we have. I think what also I think about is the fact that for a lot of societies around the world, particularly indigenous societies, particularly for for black communities, 
um, they have already been entrenched in a very apocalyptic version of the world. And so it is a privilege to only now be entering into that space myself or for my family or for people who are like me and embody my identity. So I think about the fact, all of that makes me grow in my gratitude for what we still have and makes me all the more willing and desirous to fight to keep every little thing, you know. Um, And so I think life has gotten to me, the bar for a good life has lowered dramatically. I remember when I was younger, and I'm not saying as a kid, I remember when I was like 21 and I was very fixed on, I have to be rich and that will make me happy. And that has totally left my mind. Um, Now my goal really is like, I want to be well enough to enjoy time with people I love. And I want to, I don't know, laugh a lot and read some books and watch some movies. And if I can do that till an old age, I think I'll have a pretty good life. So uh, how about you? What, what, what are you invested in protecting? What, what, what's, what's been your come to Jesus moment? Have you had one? Honestly, no, I haven't had a come to Jesus moment. Um, I'm still in between that I want to be rich and I just want to like live a, co- a comfortable lifestyle and just enjoy my time. So I'm still in between that and deciding what the hell I'm going to do because like like I, I, I'm unemployed, so I don't have any source of income. So I have a student loan Ugh, cries. And um, so I'm just like thinking about, you know, a way that maybe I could become a uh, self-employed and a lot of people have like pitched ideas to me but being environmentally conscious I I haven't gone like dived into what they have said because in a way or the other it contributes to the stuff that I'm against and I'm like oh like I can't do this because fast fashion I can't do this because pollution yeah. I can't do this. like I, it's all of those things that are behind my mind and I and I still like haven't found something that would make me genuinely happy like I'm still searching for that and I, I haven't I haven't found it yet sadly I I, I really hope you do find I, that. I hope so too thank you <laughs> but apart from that um honestly doing this is giving me some sort of like meaning to my life because I really had nothing to do prior to this uh, and now with this I, I get to at least schedule some of my time think about stuff that I have to do I'll try I'm trying to get into a routine because I don't have one and and that's really bad <laughs> um but for those of you who, who don't know this, uh, Digna is, uh, she's a phenomenal TikTok star in the making. Um, I don't know her TikTok account. I won't give it to you. She can give it to you if she wants, but uh, she has some dance moves. So I don't know if she's, maybe those are spontaneous. I don't know if she schedules uh, rehearsal. It's very times. spontaneous. It's yeah. very spontaneous. <laughs> like I, I try, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just focus and be an influencer. But even that, like, <laughs> that I, I guess it's still not my calling because I see Legion TikTokers and they literally post every single day and I want to know what's your secret like I can't do that like how I think a lot of them are are either also unemployed and and in addition to that they have parents money where they can go and you know go to a hotel every day I go swear. to a restaurant every day I'm, I uh, swear yeah it's a uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, you should don't don't envy those people too much. I always think about influencers. And it's like as soon as that camera turns off, I think they just step into a big hole of depression. Like like right now, <laughs> I like uh, well, of course the audience can't see me, but I kind of look decent because I had to do errands in the town. But other than that, I'm ragamuffin, like how they call it, all day every day. I don't. <laughs> oh, I'm. I work from home, so I'm I'm right there with you. I actually have to deliberately. Actually, it's gotten so bad for me that I think I I've gotten bold enough that I step out of my house like a ragamuffin most most of the time. Um, but I try to make a deliberate effort to go out at least once a week and get dressed decently and present myself to the world. And then you know I just give them a little treat and then I retreat back to my house and you know get back into a t-shirt and the the uh, the loosest pants I could so that I you know um, let the breeze yes, flow through. But that requires a lot of energy. <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie, like getting ready that for me it requires a lot of energy and it's simply an energy I can't find to do. So I'm just like you know what, no one's gonna see me anyways. So I'll just be myself. Uh, so so what are some things that uh, you mentioned earlier, like uh, that you were you got into this uh, and partially because of school, but I also know that you uh, were inspired by a few uh, documentaries or like what sort of sources have been instructive to your growing understanding of environmental change uh, and, and the climate crisis? Mostly documentaries. Um, I can't remember what was the first documentary I watched. But like recent ones, there was the one that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio did. I forgot the, I, I remember the cover page, but I can't remember the title. And um, so it's mostly that, like that's my um, source yeah. of information. Cause honestly, I I don't like reading that much. So I, I like to view stuff and listen. That's my way of learning. And um, so documentaries. I like to watch documentaries cool. and I try to get as much people involved when I watch in, uh, documentaries. I, I make my boyfriend watch with me. I make my mom, my sister. I have everyone sitting with me like we're going to watch this and we're going to learn and we're going to discuss what you guys think. Wow, <laughs> that's really cool. I'm, I'm, I feel like I need to maybe take that approach with my family because I, I think uh, I'm so I, I love reading and I end up reading so I end up doing so much of my learning through reading that it becomes hard to share that work with people without telling them read this book too. like find time to read 300 pages and for people who don't typically read they'll be like no yeah i would be um, like no too like i mean yeah. as much as i like to learn but reading no can i watch this is, is there is this available for me to watch so yeah no, i totally get so that's that. a way that i have been getting my family involved in what i do uh, my boyfriend as well, prior to me, he had like no understanding. He studied business. So, you know, like this is like far from his area. And I would uh, I would make him watch stuff with me. And he's very supportive and he actually listens. He pays attention. Like he's not just I'm watching this just cool. because she's forcing me. No, like we talk about this and we usually have uh, discussions and think about ways that, you know, individually how we can do our part. And, and I'm glad for that. Even with my my mom and my sister, my sister, she she's she's 18. And thankfully, she she doesn't like fall into whatever she sees in social media. Like she when it comes to, when it's environmentally related, she comes to me and asks me like, hey, I read this, blah, blah, blah. So then I I give her my point of view and like 
why is it wrong or why is it right? And I try to explain to her. So I'm glad she doesn't go and just spit out whatever she's seeing online. And we get to discuss that. And even recently, even her boyfriend, like I want for conspiracy, actually, I made them all sit down. Like we're all watching this. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. I, I've heard controversial. It's very controversial. It, it's very controversial. Uh, I'm glad that they were raising awareness of what's happening in the sea, but yeah. uh, it to me it gave me heavy white savior vibes. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the main thing I've heard, you know. And uh, well, I mean that that that's often the case with uh, environmental discourse where um, there is a prioritization over the more than human world over like the lives of indigenous people of like uh, of black folks uh, um, globally. Um, so it is very interesting how how part of what I hope we can talk about here is not only directly related environmental issues, but also issues that might not be seen as environmental concerns, but are, you know, the, the, for instance, a good one is the way in which, uh, or not good one, that's a bad ad adjective there. But uh, I'm thinking of like the way in which uh, the increased temperatures have led to increased cases of um, of waterborne diseases such as dengue in Belize, and and how that is that is an issue that affects um, poor communities more often than other ones because of their their inability to have uh, to like live on land that that does not have that sort of stagnant water that ends up becoming a breeding pool for those. So we'll see how this uh, this wet season stands, and um, maybe. Maybe, maybe that's something we talk about more down the line. Hopefully we get a wet season, cause <laughs> but not too ah! wet, not too wet either, because too wet can also be wet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're saying that now, but as soon as it starts, it's not gonna stop. I mean, I I, I was driving on the Western Highway by the cemetery in Belize City and and I was thinking, man, this whole thing was completely wrecked by all that rain and the thing is, it's probably if it rains again this year, it's probably going to get completely rucked all over. I was driving past it and I noticed that, um, you know, they the people don't realize that are doing all these sort of housing developments that when you destroy wetlands, you're actually eliminating a source for water to run off. So I was seeing a lot more land being filled up and I was like, yeah, and then people are surprised that this situation is getting worse, but it will continue to get worse until we start recognizing the problems with our infrastructural development. And uh, we can talk about infrastructure for a whole episode because uh, it's really a source of frustration for me because I see it as rarely ever doing anything that makes people's lives better. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember that story from, well, it happened more than once, but with the new airport road where a lot of uh, a lot of megafauna like tapir were being like just knocked down by people driving along that road and it's and and that didn't need to happen um it was a result of um of the developers not heeding the word at all of uh environmentalists and conservationists when they said hey this is a wildlife corridor um non-human animals use this space to migrate and travel and they were like yeah it's fine it's fine and you know, now a couple people have to live uh, on their conscience having having killed our national If they animal. even have a conscience. Uh, I would not. I, gosh, I hope they at least felt bad about it for one day, if, if anything. <laughs> um, one time when I was a kid, my dad 
uh, ran over a raccoon and, and kicked it a couple of times. I don't know if you ever felt bad about it. He never told me about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he never told me he felt guilty. I, I was there, though. I know I he did it. Um, so uh, we just want to wrap up the, this first episode, uh, which I, I don't know. I think we've knocked it out of the park um, uh, with uh, just some information about that, that Digna has found regarding like climate change's effects on Belize and where Belize sort of stands on this. So Digna, can you, can you give us uh, yeah, that information? Yeah, sure. So there is a, um, a strategic, strategic framework that was published in 2019 um, the title is Belize Country Strategic Framework, including a country program for engagement with the Green Climate Fund. And it gives an overview of the country of Belize and how it stands in, when it comes to climate change. And it even provides some, um, uh, what's the word? Oh my God, I forgot. <laughs> well, now the jitters are starting to come in. Uh, basically how to, to to go about solving climate change in a way um nice yeah mitigating what the yeah. heck like it's right there anyways just mitigating um so first of all it's like we said maybe we don't contribute much to this issue however like i've said before we will feel the effects and we will be one of the first to feel it because according to this document Belize marks sixth to first country with the highest exposure to relative mortality risk from multiple hazards in the world and eighth ranked country out of 167 for climate risk. And eighth, eighth imagine. Geez, I, before you, before you shared this, I didn't know, like, I figured we were somewhat high given like, you know, our, our, our sea level um i figured we were high but eighth we're like, in the top geez, 10 for something I mean, at least yeah I, I, uh this uh, that on murder i guess right that's that's it for belize uh, that's so it's concerning. Very concerning. Yeah. and this is due because of the low on uh, the long low elevation coast coastlines we have the all of the um keys people residing in these keys people residing along the coasts and almost 45% of these population resides on the coast. So, you know, um, this is one of the reasons why we should actually try push for something to be done within Belize. And then maybe we could also be an example to follow for the rest of the countries. You know, we don't have to be big to make an impact. Totally. Yes, I, I, I am totally there with you. I, I always think about the fact that Belize is Belize is in such a position to be a leader for poor countries and poor in terms of capital because Belize in terms of a lot of things is very rich and that doesn't mean rich in the capitalist sense of like we can destroy this all and make money from it but rich in the sense of gosh like I remember flying flying into Belize is an experience that is unlike flying into anywhere else um, I remember when I came back from Belize, most from uh, abroad, most recently, and I was just really stunned by how much of Belize's land continues to be um, continues to be not untouched. I am not natural because I, I'm always iffy about using those words because I think it separates us from the natural world when we are the natural world too. We are the environment. Um, but I remember it being so distinct from when I flew into LA a couple of years ago and 
it was just like it looked like a hot and disgusting city. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a big hater of most American cities because I think most of them are very poorly designed and uh, and don't have nearly as much greenery as I like to have. But that's because I grew up back a bush, so I'm 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 very much for mangrove uh, and hearing a lot of animals constantly. Um, overhearing sirens and car horns and all of that. Um, did you have anything else? To, well, I, I think you have some more information <laughs> yeah. you wanted to share. Yeah, sorry, I got into my own thing no. there. I'm also from Bakabush. Like I lived most of my time. Um, I was raised in a village, so you know I'm used to going to the backyard, climbing trees, the plum trees right there, orange trees. So uh, this is something that I would like, you know, future generations to be able to to um benefit from like i've also visited cities and yeah. it's like mm, too overcrowded like there's literally traffic noise I'll, like i actually live like right side of the highway so just listening to cars all day every day is, is really annoying but apart from that yeah. i'm glad that you know i have a whole backyard back there that i can go chill there's shade and there's like nice breeze and you know i i want i want awesome. this for future generations for them to also be able to enjoy this stuff this type of stuff and like you mentioned mangroves like you know our economy uh, the way it's set up right now it highly depends on tourism and we have fragile ecosystems that are being um destroyed in order to cater for the for these sectors we have uh, illegal logging going on we have the cutting of mangroves for expansions you know stuff like this and uh, if we don't have the mangroves they're literally are acts as a barrier from waves from winds from hurricanes so it like we the mainland wouldn't get hit so badly but i for some reason people just don't get to seem to understand that and that's kind of sad um but not only that we also have the agriculture sector uh with this heat it is um affecting it like this whole uh massive killing of chickens that happened and that they were just dumped on the sea on the side of the road like that's bad for many reasons because then the uh the air i after a yeah. while i imagine that must stink if no one gets rid of that right away especially in this heat. yeah and and, and that, that i remember that like i remember them they ended up saying like oh that was just one farmer who did that and i don't know we, we can never be too certain about what's happening in spanish lookout because we only ever have their word to go on for that um but those sort of uh mass dyings of those chickens are a regular occurrence which they said it as if it's not supposed to be unsettling but i found it really unsettling but i i am i am a meat eater so i am a hypocrite because i want i want animals to be well cared for until I eat them. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it was really disconcerting to, to hear it like, same, no, 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 same. normal thing, normal thing. We expect. It's okay. Like nothing <laughs> yeah. to worry about. It's like, it's happened it's, before. Exactly. Don't worry about it. Um, and, and just uh, some final things to say with the heat is that uh, I've been, I've been looking a lot into the effects of heat and what heat is doing worldwide and uh and there was some really good interesting research that came out last year around march of last year that i'll include in the notes for the show um that is has found that there's already been heat waves of such intensity in terms of the temperature and humidity 
that they've um, they've they've become fatal incidents that result in the death of people. So that's that's something else I've been thinking about too. I, I want something in um, between because I've been to Russia and Canada during the starting of their winter period, and that's not for me either. Like the heat is not for me, the cold is not for me. I need something in between. Yeah, my my sister's like that too. She she always she I think she she gets hot very quickly. I, I'm I'm hoping she can move to Scandinavia before um, the, these temperature things get too bad. When this when this whole climate change thing, it it's sometimes hard to not feel um, helpless. It's hard to not feel helpless sometimes and feel like you we're not doing anything and everything that's going on. But honestly, we're actually not that bad. <laughs> we're not that bad. Uh, we actually have uh, a lot of a lot of good things going on for us. For example, the first big thing was back in 2009, uh, UNESCO actually put our barrier reef as um, in danger. But thankfully, in 2018, it was removed from that list, and that was because of you know all the work that has been put together with Belizeans and NGOs trying to save the barrier reef, the corals, and all of that. And most recently, we also have the phase out of the single-use plastic and styrofoam. I'm actually still waiting on that because it's not completely done. It's, it's taking a little bit too long, but you know, it's a start. Um, also, we were able to get the no um, offshore oil drilling in Belize. That was in 2017. And uh, Oceana held like a heavy campaign to have people sign sign on to this to make sure that the government doesn't allow for that to happen in Belize. And most recently, last year, we had the gillnet ban. Uh, some fishermen are not happy with that decision, but I think it's ultimately for the best for our, our waters. Yeah, and that's something definitely we should get into that in a future episode, talking about the gillnet ban and potentially talk to a few fisher people about about what's happening uh, on that end and why that fight has become so contentious once again after um, seemingly coming to some resolution. Uh, and now, yeah, like we have alluded to a couple of times before, there is the port situation. <laughs> yes. And lastly, also, you know, Belize isn't far off from technology, like uh, back down in the south. We have Mayan women who are solar engineers They went all the way to India to learn this. And they've been providing um, solar energy to their communities down in the south where they had no electricity. And now they're able to, you know, have electricity down there and they're sharing their knowledge with the other women so that, you know, they could expand the labor force and, and reach more communities in maybe a shorter time period. So, you know, the, the uh, concerned Belizeans are there. There are people who actually care about the environment. They care about what they're doing. I don't think that we're alone in this. It's just a matter of like us getting together and, you know, trying to make a difference together. Totally. That sounds, that sounds like a really good place to end this first episode, Digna. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Marafaya. That's M-A-D-A-F-Y-A-H. We encourage you to subscribe to the show so you can hear all of the other information that we'll be providing in the next upcoming episodes. Um, one thing we'll definitely be talking about 
for the next episode is the cruise port development situation, which I've been following closely and Digna as well. And we will be talking about how it's an ongoing pattern in the Department of Environment's failure to hold developers accountable for the environmental destruction. And political representatives' failures to use their power to uphold the assets of their portfolios. And before we completely wrap up this episode, we would like to thank Alexander Evans for providing our theme song. You can find him on Instagram at Alexander Evans Music. And thanks to Demi Williams for providing our artwork. Thanks for checking it out, guys. This has been Marafaya. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you.